WORQ, Green Bay, Fox Cities. It's time for Stand Up for the Truth. This is Stand Up for the Truth. Educating, empowering, and connecting Christians to stand on God's word and truth. The man who won't stand up for his own principles is not really a man at all. Get involved by emailing comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com or calling us on the queue line. You can't handle the truth! Now, here's the co-host of Stand Up For The Truth, Amy Spreeman. Well, good morning, everyone. My name is Amy Spreeman, and my co-host, Mike LeMay, has one more day off here, so uh, I'm sort of soloing it today, but uh, I am not a alone. We're going to have a guest today. Uh, let me tell you what we do here. Uh, what we do is we talk about uh, trends in the church, news headlines, that kind of thing. And we always ask at the top of every program to do one thing as you uh, listen to this program is have an open Bible with you and compare what we say, in fact, what anybody says to you, to the Word of God. That is so important. All right. Well, today we're talking about vision casting. What is it? Uh, where does it come from? And is vision casting in the church biblical? So we're going to talk about some definitions and try to put some legs on that. And, of course, uh, go to the Bible with our very special guest today, Chris Roseborough, the host of the daily radio program Fighting for the Faith, and it's heard around the world on Pirate Christian Radio. If you haven't checked that out yet, uh, we've got links on our website, Stand Up for the Truth there. And uh, it's a, a broadcast group that he founded to help Christians discern God's Word by taking a look at what people are saying and teaching in the name of Jesus and uh, holding it up to the light of Scripture just like the Bereans did in Acts chapter 17. Chris Roseborough, welcome back to Stand Up for the Truth. Glad to be back, Amy. Uh, glad to have you. I, I want to start in, in this direction, Chris, because uh, your ministry has, uh, since the last time we talked to you, probably about six months ago, uh, you've had some tremendous personal and professional ministry uh, changes in your life. Why don't you bring us up to speed? Yeah, I've uh, taken the call to pastor a tiny, and I mean tiny, congregation out in the middle of the sugar beet fields of Oslo, Minnesota. And so now I am a pastor, uh, and the name of my church is Kongsvinger Lutheran Church, and it, we've actually pulled, pulled up our stakes out of Indiana and moved to uh, Grand Forks, North Dakota, so that I can uh, serve this congregation out there. So I'm now bivocational, if you would. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. And, and I know uh, part of your ministry, every every day you take an hour and you review uh, sermons, some very good sermons you have, uh, biblically wonderful sermons, and then you also review some that are, uh, well, kind of highlighting some things creeping into the church that ought not to be, and you're, you're helping people learn how to discern by holding things up to Scripture. So now that you're on the other side of the pulpit, uh, tell us, do you have any uh, additional insights that maybe you didn't have before? Um, I think the biggest revelation is that um, part of the preaching task involves exegeting God's Word, but the other part of it involves exegeting the congregation, because, you know, let's just say that where people are in their Christian growth and their discipleship, it's not a one-size-fits-all kind of thing. And so being a pastor, uh, you oftentimes have to tailor your message uh, to basically be appropriate to where your congregation is at and and address their strengths and their weaknesses. And so I think that was the, the, the piece of it that I didn't quite appreciate until I got I got into the pulpit. And thankfully, the Lord's given me a small congregation, so I'm not overwhelmed in that sense. Now, okay, I have to ask. Now, uh, as you cast vision, uh, I'm just kidding. Uh, talk to us about vision casting. Um, I, I think we need a, a definition because a lot of folks might be tuned in who um, don't really know what that means maybe they haven't experienced that what is that well i have to we have to be careful here there's two different working definitions of vision casting out there and one i would say is probably harmless and the other is definitely not harmless it's actually very harmful if we're talking about vision casting being this idea of you know let's assess where we are let's look at our strengths and our weaknesses and let's you know let's try to figure out as a congregation where we want to be a year from now three years from now five years from now i mean mm-hmm. you know granted you know it's tough to do these kinds of things you know um but you know you say we you know say we're deficient in this area and we want to strengthen that up in that sense vision casting 
blasting it just basically looks like long-range strategic planning and there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you're talking about but there's another definition that is out there and the the other definition it basically includes the prophetic and it's this idea that god has a unique and specific vision for your congregation and how it's going to function and meet the needs in a particular regional community. And the the pastor has to make himself worthy to receive the vision by showing his dedication to God or maybe through prayer and fasting. And then God gives this prophetic vision to the pastor or vision-casting leader, and his job then is to cast it down to his leadership team and his leadership team down to the people. And the job of the people then is to actually make the vision that God gave the pastor come into play. That is that is not taught in Scripture, and that is a very dangerous thing. And it actually is the, the kind of the primary groundwork for the church structure put in play by purpose-driven churches and other churches. And we, ha- we actually have some, uh, some sound bites to kind of uh, figure out w- you know, what this all sounds like. And so Dan Sutherland, he has a sound bite called Vision is a Picture of What God Wants Us to Do. I think we should listen to that first, and then after that, the Creflo Dollar one about you don't want to go to church to be fed. All right. Well, and folks, uh, uh, Chris has kindly provided us with uh, 10 different sound bites. Some of them are uh, go by really quick. So I, I really need you to hear these because uh, some of these sounded familiar to me, but some of these are brand new and, and they're quite disturbing. Uh, but let's take a listen to uh, Jim, pull up number two and we'll start there. Here's a definition of vision. Vision is a picture of what God wants to do. That's all it is. It's a picture of what God wants to do. Okay, so that was uh, Don Sutherland, or Dan Sutherland, I'm sorry. Explain who uh, Dan Sutherland is, and then let's talk about his definition. Yeah, Dan Sutherland used to be uh, the man who was kind of the uh, go-to person within the purpose-driven community for teaching churches how to transition from being traditional churches to purpose-driven churches. And so um, he, the, I think his uh, organization was Church Transitions, Inc., and he has a book out, uh, you know, that uh, was used for, uh, you know, the better part of the last decade, you know, teaching people this. And th- this is what basically what he said, vision is a picture of what God wants to do. So the idea then is, is is that the primary core idea behind the bad kind of vision casting is that God has this idea he wants to do, and he has to find a leader who's worthy to give that vision to, and then it's the job of the people to make it happen. And if we listen to Creflo Dollars, uh, you don't want to go to church to be fed uh, soundbite, you'll kind of get the idea of how this then plays out in these large mega churches. All right, this is Creflo Dollar. Let's play soundbite number one there, Jim. You know, you hear people say, well, why do you go to that church so I can be fed? You don't come here so you can be fed. You come here to help me and tap and fulfill his vision. That is, if God called you here, you hadn't been called so you can be fed the word. Now, if you get fed in the midst of it, that's good. But you've been called to find your part in bringing this vision to pass in the earth. That's why you've been called to the church. You haven't been called here, but so I came here because I so I can get fed the word. Isn't it so interesting how we come to church out of all of a sudden? You didn't come here so you can get fed the word. Now, if you can get some word while you're here, that's good too. But you came here because each of you have a piece and a part that you play in bringing this vision to pass. So if you're just kind of sitting around being fed, but not understanding that you have a part to play in this vision coming to pass. That's why God called you. When God calls a person to a church, you're called to that church to help that pastor fulfill that vision. Hmm. Chris, is there a scriptural basis for what he just said? No, not at all. In fact, there's not a single passage of Scripture that teaches this. And, and one of the things I like to point people to is I basically say that you will find this, the Scripture passages that teach the pastors are to be vision casters right next to the biblical passages that teach us that the Pope speaks ex cathedra and that you're to pray to the Virgin Mary. Mm. In other words, this this church model, this idea doesn't exist anywhere in Scripture. This is completely foreign and alien, and I I would argue is contrary to what God has established regarding the pastoral office, its duties, and and what it's to do, and and who pastors are to serve. Mm -hmm. And so you'll notice that uh, Creflo Dollar, he's kind of speaking very bluntly about what many megachurch pastors, they're taught, you know, kind of 
privately in different, you know, in in conferences and networking and coaching, but he's speaking it out in the open where people can hear it, that you don't come to church to be fed. You come to church to make the pastor's vision come to life or to happen. That, that, the only word I can use for this is it's demonic. This is, this is nowhere taught in Scripture. Pastors exist to serve Christ's sheep, to feed them, to care for them, to give them God's Word. That's the job of a pastor. And pastor, by the way, is a, is a term that comes to us you know, out of the shepherding terms of the, uh, the New Testament. This is what a pastor is to do. So pastors exist to serve sheep. Sheep do not exist to serve the pastor. I mean, that's a complete flipping of things on its head. But again, what Creflo Dollar is saying here is exactly what is being said and taught throughout uh, purpose-driven networks, uh, churches within the Willow Creek Network, those who are associated with Leadership Network, this is the type of vision casting that they teach their pastors. Mm. Chris, uh, how how does this even come to be? Where, where do we get this sudden shift? Uh, and maybe it's not so sudden. Maybe it does kind of go back to the purpose-driven days for, of 20 years ago, where pastors have decided that um, they don't want to feed the sheep anymore. That's not their job anymore. Where does that come from? Well, um, kind of a culmination of a few things, but um, you, you have men like Robert Schuler and others who kind of test drove this and beta tested this, you know, maybe 30 years ago, uh, you know, at the Crystal Cathedral. And the idea is, is that these are men who were looking for ways to kind of get past the, uh, you know, the, the general limits uh, of growth on a congregation. And, you know, for for millennia, and this is the right way to put it, you know, about the, you know, the average size of a church was about 100 to 150 people. And there's a reason for that. The reason for that is actually quite simple, because that's the limit that any human being has on himself. So if there's a pastor in a church and there's 100 to 150 people, that's about all he can reasonably manage effectively. Once it gets beyond about 150, you're going to have to call another pastor to help serve alongside that pastor. You're going to have to uh, break the church up and, and create two congregations because, you know, the, the, there's a limit. And so these, these guys who were the early innovators regarding the church growth movement, they were trying to figure out what are the secrets to success uh, to, in order to grow a mega church and get beyond that, that ceiling of 100 to 150. Well, in order to do that, they had to completely change the paradigm of, of the pastor. No longer should he be a shepherd, somebody who cares for people, but he's got to be uh, in a, instead more like a cattle rancher. You know, this is how they talk about it in their own, in, you know, in their own internal memos and things like that. And so uh, they, they found that you, you, you want to have people feel like they're part of something bigger than themselves, and in order for that to happen, they created this myth of the, you know, that God wants to give a vision, uh, a unique idea to a vision casting leader, and, and everyone's job is to make that happen. And, you know, this comes about through uh, the Druckerite, you know, uh, networks again. Drucker helped kind of facilitate these concepts. He took some ideas out of the corporate world and then embedded them into uh, the church structure that's being used by these mega churches. Mm. And, and Chris, it sounds like if we're changing the role of the church and the pastor's job, uh, you've just said something interesting. We're also changing uh, the character and nature of God to our people, to the congregation, and, and that ought not be. But um, interestingly, this next soundbite that we're going to hear, uh, we were just uh, on our program on Friday uh, talking about this gentleman who we heard uh, recently, Dan Sutherland, uh, who we heard from just a few minutes ago, in the context of um, abuse, uh, church abuse. And very interesting that this would come up. Folks, if you didn't hear that podcast, uh, go back to um, Friday. Friday's podcast with uh, Ingrid Schleter and, and hear this, uh, you know, episode about uh, how this devolves into church abuse. But uh, are we going to hear from Dan Sutherland next? Do we want to play that soundbite next, Chris? Yeah, sure. That'd be great. All right. This one is uh, Dan Sutherland explaining vision via uh, somebody else you might have heard of, uh, Henry Blackaby. And this is soundbite number three, Jim. Now, Henry Blackaby has taught me more about this idea than anyone else. How many of you have done Blackaby study experiencing God? Killer stuff. Killer, killer stuff. You ought to do it every three or four years just to just to be reminded. Tell me the principle behind Blackaby study. Those of you that have done it. What is it? Yeah, see what God's doing in the world and joining and joining. Now, here's what we do in our churches. We say, hey, God, I've got a great plan for my church. Will you come down here and bless my plan? No. 
God has never done that. God will never do that. God stands instead way over here and says, well, I'm already blessing these things. Why don't you join me in what I'm already blessing? Oh, Lord, you don't understand. My plan's original. My plan's unique. My plan's mine. Won't you come bless my plan? Here's a key, key truth. It took me 20 years to grab this. God never joins us. Never. He invites us to join him. All right. Uh, Chris, tell us a little bit about what he said that uh, is alarming to you. Well, in the context, if you were to put that back into the context of the uh, conference he was teaching at, he was basically making the argument that, you know, you pastors with small churches who want to have larger churches, you know, stop trying to come up with your own plan. What you need to do is look around the world and see what God is blessing and join God in doing that. And he was using Blackaby as kind of the uh, the linchpin with, with that, which, by the way, Blackaby's theology is steeped in mysticism, and, yeah. and he twists God's word. This is a twisting of the Gospel of John, chapter 5. Don't have time to get into this. And so what Sutherland was basically saying is, is that, listen, you guys out here with traditional churches, you need to stop expecting God to bless you with those traditional churches. You need to look at what God's doing around the world. And then he held up uh, Yonggi Cho of uh, South Korea and his church and see, look, this is a man who has you know, how many hundreds of thousands of people who are part of his church, and look, God's blessing him numerically, and they don't do church the traditional way. They do multi-site, they have small groups, and so that's what's got, what God is blessing. Therefore, if you want God to bless your church, you got to do what Yonggi Cho is doing, because God's blessing that. That was his argument. And, of course, the question immediately comes up, why do you automatically assume that numerical growth at a particular church venue equals God's blessing, because Yonggi Cho is a man who teaches the Word of Faith heresy, and was recently, uh, you know, you know, had, was kind of forced to step down by the Korean government because of misconduct and, and, uh, and you know, let's just say ethical violations. And so, you know, you look at something like that, you go, why do you automatically assume that numerical growth, quantitative growth, uh, yeah, quantitative growth is somehow blessed by God rather than qualitative. So this was a slick rhetorical uh, device used by uh, Sutherland, but it's not based upon Scripture. It's based upon experience. It's not based upon what God's Word says. It's based upon an interpretation of what you think God is doing in the world, and that's no way to make a decision as to what a pastor is to be doing in in a congregation. And let's, uh, if you're just joining us, our guest, Pastor Chris Roseboro is with us from Pirate Christian Radio's Fighting for the Faith. Uh, Chris, talk to us again. Remind us again the job of the pastor is, because you are one. Yeah, the job of a pastor is to feed Christ's sheep, to, to preach the word, to equip people for ministry. So the pastors exist to serve sheep, not the other way around. Okay. Let's go back to uh, soundbite number four next. Uh, this is also from uh, Dan Sutherland uh, talking about the percentage of vision uh, you're going to see. So let's, let's hit that one. I'd like you to do this. I'd like you to answer this question for me. Rate yourself from one to a hundred on how much you're praying for the vision and the future of your church. Not the present. Not the problems now. How much are you praying for the vision and the future of your church? If you're so busy with the present that you're not doing that at all, then that's one. If it's keeping you up late at night and staying on your mind all through the day, that's a hundred. Rate yourself. If you're embarrassed by your number, add 50 to it. Write a number down, would you? I want everybody here to write a number down. If you don't like your number, write it in code. Your neighbor doesn't have to see it. Write a number down. Everybody got a number? Now, would you do this? Add a percentage sign after your number. A percentage sign. And here's the wild statement. That's the maximum percent of what God wants to do you're ever going to see. If I pray at a 25% level, then God can only do 25% of what he wants to do in my life and my church. Wow. Okay, so that's getting into a theology that says, if I do this, God will do this. Talk to us about where this is going. Well, yeah, apparently in Dan Sutherland's theology, you know, this vision that God wants to give a pastor is earned 
it's earned by a pastor based upon his piety, how obsessed he is with if discovering that vision. And so, you know, God's up there kind of crossing his arms, waiting for the pastor to demonstrate just how serious he is about receiving this vision from him. And if, if the guy is only like 70% serious, God will say, all right, well, he's only 70% serious, so I'm going to give him 70% of the vision that I want for that congregation. To which I would basically say, this is a bald-faced lie. Nowhere in Scripture does it say, number one, that God's going to give a unique vision to your pastor for your congregation. And nowhere in Scripture does it say that a pastor will only receive, you know, the percentage of vision based upon how pious and how devoted he is to that vision. I mean, this is a, this is a works-based religion at its core that Dan Sutherland is promoting here. And none of this is taught in Scripture. My question for him would be, where in the Bible do you see this? And I want actual passages that say it explicitly, because there isn't a single text that you can go to that teaches this. And on top of it, you can't go to any of the writings of the Church Fathers and the early Christians and the martyrs that, that would say, oh, and this is what Christianity has believed and taught from the beginning. This is a weed. This is a foreign object being, you know, a foreign theology being imposed on Christianity. And the scary thing was is that, you know, when you listen if, to this conference, that, you know, there were, you know, hundreds of pastors in the room. In fact, Sutherland has taught this to hundreds of thousands of pastors over the, over the past decade, and none of them challenged him biblically and said, where does the Bible say this? Nowhere does the Bible teach this. This is, this is absolutely demonic. Mm. And if you do challenge folks, if you do challenge anything like this, there is a system, there is something about being thrown under the bus that is actually prescribed in, in books by uh, Dan Sutherland and others. We're going to talk about that when we come back. If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at standupforthetruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment on Q90FM. This is Stand Up For The Truth. Call in your questions now at 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Now, back to Amy Spreeman. We are back with our special guest, Chris Roseboro, Pirate Christian Radio's Chris Roseboro from uh, Fighting for the Faith is his ministry. And we've been listening to some sound bites, and, and we've got a few more to go here. But, uh, Chris, I, the question I have is, you know, um, if, if the pastor is receiving a direct vision from God, uh, there are some implications if somebody um, doesn't believe that that's, uh, you know, something that we should be doing. Talk to us about that. Yeah, well, the implication is this, is that if the pastor is really receiving a vision from God, I mean, let's just put it into the positive, okay? Let's say he really is. Well, what does that make him? It makes him a prophet. And what then, if you oppose the pastor, if you oppose his vision, if you oppose his message, the reality then is, is that you're not opposing the pastor. You are, in fact, opposing God himself. And I think the next soundbite kind of bears this out beautifully and shows the implications of what's going on with these vision-casting leaders. To oppose them is to actually oppose God. Now, this is a gentleman by the name of uh, Pastor Eric Dykstra, and he's from Crossing Church in Elk River, Minnesota. And uh, let's play that, Matt. That's soundbite number five. Number two, we are united under the visionary. Now, the visionary here is Eric. The crossing is built on the vision that God gave Pastor Eric. And we will aggressively defend that vision. Now, what does that mean, you aggressively defend that? That means that we do church the way he wants us to do it. And me as a campus pastor, I can't go up to Zimmerman and decide that I'm going to preach on Sunday because that's not the vision that we have for this church that God gave to Eric. Mm -hmm. And we defend that when people go, well, maybe we should do it this way. And we're like, no, 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 no. You don't understand. God gave Eric this vision. We do it this way. Because we don't want to argue with God, basically. We don't want to be like, you know, Eric's not God. We're not saying Eric's God. He's not God. Not God. But he's got a vision from God, and we have decided with our lives that we're going to follow that vision, mm -hmm. and we're going to stick to that. And if we ever just decide that we don't want to be a part of that vision, then we can go find a church and serve somewhere else. And that's, that's okay. We're not telling anybody that... 
they have to unite under this vision that that Eric got from God. You can do whatever you want, but we think that it's a really cool vision. We're on board with it, and we're going to defend it, and we're going to stick to it. Okay, Chris, uh, two words are coming to my mind right now. One is that sounds eerily familiar. I, I hear that in other um, mega churches, and two, sounds like a little bit of uh, manipulation might be setting up there. What do you think? Well, yeah, it is. Definitely, it is manipulative. Okay, but notice, I mean, this guy who was talking. I mean, he was he couldn't distinguish between. Eric Dykstra in God because the level of the vision supposedly comes from God and so where's his where's his allegiance is a, is his allegiance to Jesus is his allegiance to the gospel no his allegiance is to Eric and Eric's vision that he got from God and it's really cool this vision that he got and so we're get, you know we're aligning our lives with this vision that God gave to Eric so what happens is is that the 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 person who in a sense becomes the intermediary in this relationship uh, between the people and and God is the vision casting leader. It, this is this is sick. This is the the type of stuff that literally is the seedbed for the creating of cults and uh, cults of personality, where uh, the people are going to church not because they're there to hear about Jesus, but literally there because they're united around the vision that God gave the vision casting leader. And they're and what they were reading from was the uh, the code that uh, forms the basis for. Uh, the crossing church and point number two is not that we're united around jesus we're united uh, we're united under the visionary i mean what is this i mean this is cult talk this is and this is the implications if the pastor's receiving a direct vision from god well then to oppose him is to oppose god so you gotta you, if you want to help fulfill god's will in the earth then you've got to unite under the visionary Chris, uh, he also said that they were there to aggressively defend the vision. What does that even mean? Well, that's basically, you know, kind of uh, code talk to basically say you oppose the vision, you're out of here. We're going to we're going to, you know, we're going to discipline you, we're going to get rid of you. We don't allow dissent. They see that's the thing in in this type of culture, you know, with this teaching, what happens is is that uh, the people in the purpose driven network teach that the people who oppose the vision, those are wolves. And you have to get rid of wolves by, you know, by shooting them. In fact, Dan Sutherland says that uh, quite, you know, uh, quite specifically. So the idea is, is that they, they, they change the paradigm. Biblically, a wolf is somebody who is a false teacher. It's somebody who is masquerading as a Christian and somebody who's teaching false doctrine. But in the purpose-driven vision-casting paradigm, somebody who questions or challenges the vision or says, Pastor, your job's to feed the sheep and I'm not being fed, that person automatically is considered a wolf and they are they are trying to distract people from achieving the pastor's vision so they're the ones who have to be gotten rid of well let's go to that matt we're going to skip ahead to soundbite number eight um this one is titled shoot the wolf it's dan sutherland again teaching pastors who the wolves really are in his view let's play that one now i grew up on the farm anybody else in here grew up on the farm anybody maybe y'all can help me what do you do with a wolf if you're herding sheep, what do you do with a wolf? Thank you. Shoot him. That's the answer. You know what we try to do? We try to convert the wolf. Oh, nice wolfie. Why are you gnawing on my arm? That's it. Quit Why eat- dost thou gnaw on my neck? Yeah. Quit eating my sheep. If you be a good wolfie, we'll let you stay in our church. Shoot the dang wolf. Jesus said the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Folks, I'm telling you, I've worked sheep. I have done the physical work of of herding sheep. Any shepherd worth his salt carries a rifle and shoots the critters that eat his sheep. Well, wow. so Chris, um, what I'm hearing there is that the wolf is actually the uh, congregant, the person in the church who raises his or her hand and objects to the vision and not uh, what Jesus actually said about wolves. Remind us what Jesus uh, did say about wolves. Yeah, wolves in sheep's clothing are those who come to us in his name, but you will know them by their fruits, by their, you know, by their 
their doctrine. And so a wolf in sheep's clothing is, well, I hate to say this, is somebody actually like Dan Sutherland, who's bringing to us a false message, a message that's not found in the Bible, teaching pastors to do something contrary to what God's Word actually tells them to do. So wolves are actually false teachers. They're, they're the people in the pulpit. Um, you know, so when, when a sheep says, you know, listen, pastor, I, you know, I, I've been looking in my Bible, and your message doesn't agree with the Word of God, or this vision that you claim to receive, be receiving from God, the Bible doesn't actually say that you can receive a vision from God. That person in the purpose-driven parlance is considered a wolf, and they are aggressively hunted down and ejected from the from these congregations, because it's absolutely imperative for the health of the community, the way they put it, that uh, there be no dissent from the vision that God gave the pastor. So I'm hearing, shoot the wolf, aggressively defend the vision. Um, that That's very different from what we hear, but also it's very familiar. I'm hearing this, and I'd like to play next uh, soundbite number six, Matt. It's uh, from Elevation Church's vision, uh, from Elevation Church, little music here. Let's play that one. united under one vision. Elevation is built on the vision God gave Pastor Stephen. We will aggressively defend our unity and that vision. Okay, a little bit short, but I mean, that that one really tells us that um, this is something that's kind of uh, Christendom-wide. We're, we're seeing this in a lot of different uh, uh, codes, a lot of different vision casting. Talk to us about how common this is. Um, it's very common. If you go to a church where the pastor has been trained by the Willow Creek Association Leadership Network or the Purpose Driven Community, um, this is what is being taught um, pastors in their coaching network. So this is you know this is part and parcel of what it means to be a purpose driven pastor. Is you you are a vision casting leader, and this uh, you know so you're establishing a community based upon a unique vision that God has given you. The people who are most notable for teaching this would be Andy Stanley. He has an entire book on this called Visioneering, where he teaches this uh, this technique. Uh, the men who are who are big promoters of it are Perry Noble, Ed Young, Stephen Furtick. Um, you know, then you throw into you know Bill Hybels, Rick Warren, uh, Craig Groeschel from uh, LifeChurch.tv. If if your pastor is attending conferences put on by these uh, by these networks, these purpose driven networks, this is what they're being taught. And um, if you don't believe what I'm telling you is true, just tell him, hey, pastor, I've been looking in my Bible, and it nowhere says that you're to be receiving a vision from God and that we're supposed to uh, uh, be sitting while you cast that vision and then make that vision come true. You will uh, find yourself kind of on the short list of people to be gotten rid of in those churches, and uh, and oftentimes they find some of the most unsanctimonious ways to get rid of uh, vision dissenters. So, I mean, they are vision dissenters are are more of a problem to humanity than prostitutes are in the way they think. And it's actually, as we mentioned in the uh, previous segment, it, there's actually a system for uh, getting rid of dissenters, and this has been taught, well, mostly by Dan Sutherland, who's gone into these purpose driven churches and taught, you know, here's how you get rid of them. You start by, uh, you can't call them a leader from hell. You have to call them a, a sandballet. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Uh, one of the books that they, that, you know, that they, they work from is, is they basically turn the story of uh, Nehemiah into kind of like a, a leadership fable, if you would. You know, it, it, they totally disregard what the book is actually about. And so they'll say, look, it, just like Nehemiah was given a vision by God to, you know, to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, so you, pastor, are going to be like Nehemiah, and you're going to receive a vision from God. And no sooner are you given that vision than you are going to have your own Sanballat, somebody who wants you to come down off of the wall in order to, uh, you know, it, you know, to, challenge you, and you need to basically ignore the sandbalots and tell them, I'm too busy on the, the work that God has given me, I cannot come down and talk to you. And this, and this is, and so they turn Nehemiah into this purpose-driven, vision-casting, uh, Aesop's fable kind of thing, where, you know, everything is centers around, uh, you know, the, the, what you're supposed to, you know, this is somehow a blueprint of how you handle vision dissenters and stuff like that. Book of Nehemiah isn't about that at all. Actually, uh, just like 
every other book of the Bible, the book of Nehemiah, is about Jesus. Yeah. And Sandalit, as I recall, wasn't really even um, a, a child of Israel. He actually was uh, against uh, Nehemiah and wanted to kill him. I, but uh, is that correct? Do I have that one? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, Sambalot was a guy who you know can see the handwriting on the wall. I mean, he had personal power as a result of the fact that you know he was in Jerusalem after Nebuchadnezzar had uh, sacked it, and uh, you know he so the, he had personal interest in the Jews not rebuilding the wall and the Jews not you know being strong again, and so you know he, he was basically acting in his own best interest and was threatened by uh, by what was happening, but God was the one who was behind it. Mm, so so there's a lot of implications there if uh, you, as I have been, called a, a Sanballat, you're actually being called somebody who's uh, uh, murderous and against God. So another, uh, is that another way to manipulate? Yes, it is another way to manipulate. And in in this case, it's, it's again, just similar to what they do with wolves. Wolves are not sheep who's, who, who are Bereans who are challenging what the pastor says. S- same thing. If you're a Berean and you're saying, hey, pastor, what you're doing is not in accord with the pastoral offices laid out in Scripture, that doesn't make you a Sanballat. That, you know, they, so they're misapplying the labels in order to kind of dehumanize the person so that then what happens is, is that when they get rid of them and in often in in many cases people are not only gotten rid of they're told they're they're the people who remain in the church are told to shun that person mm-hmm. and in, in in some extreme cases the person who's been ejected from the congregation has a restraining order issued against them i mean no sooner does this happen that you know all of their friend you know people who've been in the church who are their friends on facebook and twitter they unfriend them i mean it's again this is cultish this is very cult-like uh behavior and it makes sense because you know if you believe that this pastors receive a vision from god well if you oppose the pastor you're opposing god mm-hmm. chris I, we get letters i know you do too uh, it's absolutely heartbreaking uh, what happens in the swath of this um, it's i'll just say what it is it's destruction uh, before we go to break i do want to play one last soundbite from dan sutherland uh, matt this is number seven where he's explaining the opposition uh, to meeting god's vision so let's let's play that one matt So I said, uh, I'm allowed as the moderator to speak to this, and here's what I say. I'm not going back. God's given us a new vision to do church for the unchurched, and I'm not going back. Now, you men can vote to take the church back, and if you vote yes, we want the church to go back to the way we used to do it. I will resign tonight. The other two pastors will resign in the morning. We'll go across the street to the empty field, rent a tent, put it up, and we'll do church for the unchurched next week right here in Fort Lauderdale because that's what God has called us to do. And you guys can vote however you want, but I've got to do this. So going against uh, the, the people who would be voting for, you know, going back to the way we, the church was supposed to be, and that is following Jesus Christ. Thoughts on that? Yeah, Sutherland, you know, is the guy who transitioned. I think it was Flamingo Road Baptist Church uh, in Fort Lauderdale, and he transitioned them. He claims that he received this vision from God to do church for the unchurch, which is kind of code word here for purpose-driven, seeker-driven type of churches. And, uh, and, you know, he met with opposition after the changes. It became clear that the sheep weren't being fed, and there were people who were still elders who, you know, who were basically fighting for the biblical model, and Sutherland basically put the, you know, you know, kind of put them in a, you know, catch-22 situation, but made it very clear his allegiance wasn't to what Scripture said his job as the pastors to do. His allegiance was to what he believed the vision that he received from God. And I think it's also, also note, notable at this point that if this was a vision that was truly from God, then why is this church today one of the biggest, you know, I would say promoters of heresy on the planet? Because Sutherland handpicked his successor, and his successor is Troy Gramling. Oh, and the yes. church now is called potential church. And Troy Gramling has absolutely no clue how to handle the Bible. And this is a man who is known for his shenanigans and things like that, but he doesn't rightly handle God's Word. And, you know, and this is a hotbed of heresy potential church has become. You know, as we go to break, folks, I want to point out that as we name names on this program, it's important to expose the false teaching. And I'm going to put up a link to uh, one of Chris's interviews uh, with Troy Gramling, not an interview, but a sermon review 
interview in which he takes what Groundling says to the Word of God. And uh, it's uh, you've done the legwork, Chris, and I, I really appreciate the work you do. I know it's not popular, uh, but it really needs to be done so that people can get back to the Word of God and understand that we are to be following Jesus and uh, not some of these visions that allegedly come from God. Folks, when we come back, we've got two more very important sound bites I want you to hear. Uh, the first is going to be from James McDonald, and the second is going to be from Mark Driscoll about putting dissenters off and under the bus. We'll be right back. If you want to contact us about any of the topics discussed today, email your questions to comments at standupwithetruth.com. You can also call your questions in on the queue lines, 494-9010 in Green Bay or 1-800-979-9010 nationwide. Stand Up For The Truth will continue in a moment on Q90FM. If you want more info on the topics of today's show, then visit StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now back to Amy Spreeman. We are in our final segment already. The time has just flown with our special guest, Pirate Christian Radio's Chris Roseborough of Fighting for the Faith, his ministry that you can check out. A link on our website there, StandUpForTheTruth.com. Uh, Chris, uh, we want to talk a little bit about these last two sound bites, and I'd like you to uh, set this first one up for me. Uh, this is a, a just a, a quick one from James McDonald. What are we going to hear? Yeah, James McDonald, this is him basically speaking to all of the pastors and their support uh, personnel within the uh, Harvest Bible Chapel system on what to do with people who um, just are not getting with the vision of the church. This mm-hmm. is his suggestion regarding them. All right, this is soundbite number nine. Matt, let's give it a whirl. And I'm releasing you to take a small portion of your church's budget, build a catapult, put it in the church parking lot, and load it regularly. I think we can shoot this one right out of our county. Oh, man. So so he's actually, is he comparing people who uh, raise their hand in, a, in an Acts chapter 17 Berean kind of way to uh, a small portion of uh, their budget? Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, 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 you know, just you, you know, these are people who just won't get with the vision. Continue to gripe and moan or complain or, or you know, stir up, uh, you know, people and say this is not what the Bible says. McDonald's solution for them: build a catapult and launch them into the next county. Mm-hmm. I mean that. I mean th- this is common type of messaging that you get from uh, those leaders who are high up, who speak at conferences, who people pay money to be coached by. This is common. This is not uncommon. This is exactly how they teach you to dehumanize and not care for somebody who is who is just not getting with the vision of the church. Yeah, and it really uh, reduces us, those of us who are go to a church as as monetary. We're, we're now just a number, um, a, a tither, if you will. And uh, boy, that, that is dehumanizing. I, I um, that, that makes me very sad yep yeah. and it, it should this is this is not what christ has called pastors and shepherds to do well i'm going to go from being sad to being quite uh, alarmed when i first heard this uh, i think i heard this on your program uh, maybe a couple years ago now uh, this is mark driscoll talking about what he does with dissenters not only in his church but on his staff and uh, matt this is our final one uh, number 10 there uh, this is mark driscoll on throwing vision dissenters off the bus Here's what I've learned. You you cast vision for your mission, and if people don't sign up, you move on. You move on. There are people that are going to die in the wilderness, and there are people that are going to take the hill. That's just how it is. Um, too many guys waste too much time trying to move stiff-necked, stubborn, obstinate people. Um... I am all about blessed subtraction. There, there is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. <laughs> and by God's grace, it'll be a mountain by the time we're done. Um, you either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. And uh, I'm, just a, I'm just a guy who is like, look, we love you, but this is what we're doing. There's a few kind of people. There's people who get in the way of the bus, they got to get run over. There are people who want to take turns driving the bus, they got to get thrown off because <laughs> they want to go somewhere else. There are people who will uh, be on the bus, leaders and helpers and servants, they're awesome. There's also just sometimes nice people who sit on the bus and shut up. Um, 
they're not helping or hurting, just let them ride along. Um, you know what I'm saying? But don't look at the nice people that are just going to sit on the bus and shut their mouth and think, I need you to lead the mission. They're never going to. At the very most, you'll give them a job to do and they'll serve somewhere and help out in a minimal way. If someone can sit in a place that hasn't been on mission for a really long time, they are by definition not a leader, and so they're never going to lead. Uh, you need to gather a whole new core. I'll, I'll tell you guys what, too. You don't do this just from your church planting or replanting. I'm doing it right now. I'm doing it right now. We just took certain guys and rearranged the seats on the bus. Yesterday, we fired two elders for the first time in the history of Mars Hill last night. They're off the bus, under the bus. Um, they were off mission, so now they're unemployed. I mean, you. this will be the defining issue as to whether or not you succeed or fail. So, Chris, there are a lot of bodies, a lot more than when that soundbite uh, even was first made public. Talk to us about this. Yeah, this is this is not at all what Jesus has told pastors to be doing. I mean, the fact that the Driscoll would say that by the grace of God there will be a mountain of dead bodies before he's through, this... I mean, that is not only outrageous, it's demonic. I mean, these are people whom Christ has bled and died for. These are people who have penitent faith in Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and the thing that he's thanking God for is that there's a mountain of these people dead under the bus. That's outrageous. I mean, this is not at all the shepherding model that Christ has set up in Scripture. Pastors are shepherds. And let me read to you two passages, okay? The first is John chapter 21. After Peter, you know, denied Christ three times, Christ restored him. And how he restored him is actually very important. He says this, when they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, well, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to them the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything and you know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The job of the pastor is to feed and care for those souls whom Christ has bled and died for, to give them God's word, to care for them, and to be there and pray for them, and not to, you know, to you know, basically throw them under the bus because they, they're not on mission. No, nowhere in Scripture does it say to do that. And Peter himself tells pastors what to do. In First Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, it says this, So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, but not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Yes. Well, and Chris, thank you for reading those. I, I have to ask this question because I know you've um, kept up on the latest news with uh, Pastor Mark Driscoll, who, by the way, folks, if, you, if you're if you not familiar with him, he has been uh, asked to step down for a number of reasons. Uh, Chris, what is uh, the latest in this situation? Well, Driscoll has <clears throat> basically put himself in a self-imposed six-week timeout, um, and it it, he hasn't repented. No. Okay. He he. And by no means is he under discipline. In fact, the uh, the elders of his church do not have the authority, according to the uh, the church's bylaws, to actually discipline Driscoll. But the elders are going to conduct an investigation, give a report on their findings. You know, during the six weeks. But it's very clear that Driscoll's still in charge. Driscoll's still in the driver's seat. And the six weeks that he's taken off is not because he's repenting. He's basically trying to, uh, well, wait for things to blow over. And in the meantime, he's hired a, a very expensive PR firm to uh, help resuscitate his uh, his public image, which is not conducive with repentance at all, but is more along the lines of what you would see a politician do than a pastor who's repenting from these egregious sins and abuse that he's uh, in, engaged in at Mars Hill. 
Yes, I thank you for that, Chris, because I, I know that there's many misconceptions about what uh, repentance is, uh, what a true I'm sorry is all about, and uh, even a misconception uh, about whether or not he was asked to step down, and as I had uh, mistakenly stated, so, uh, but he, he took himself out and uh, for a little while. Um, you think he'll be back? Oh, yeah. I, that's his intention. That's his intention. It, it, uh, in order for him to not come back, he, there would have to be a full-blown biblical coup uh, by his elders who, you know, basically say, listen, the scriptures say, you know, that we're elders and we're going to go by what the authority of scripture says, not the church's bylaws. And therefore, you know, speaking as the elders, we have found that uh, you have, you know, engaged in sinful behavior. Not only have you not repented of it, uh, but that sinful behavior also disqualifies you from the pastoral office, which is, yeah. you know, the, clearly, you know, Driscoll is not qualified anymore to be a pastor. He is, he does not meet the biblical qualifications of a pastor. But then again, his title there at Mars Hill is Chief Vision Casting Leader. Yeah, and, and that's not a, a title that uh, is found anywhere in Scripture. Chris Roseboro, my friend, we have run out of time. I, I don't like when that happens because the time goes so so fast when you're with us, but I want to let people know that the links to Pirate Christian Radio's Fighting for the Faith on our website, StandUpForTheTruth.com. Check it out. Chris, thank you again for being with us. Thank you, Amy. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to let you know what's coming up the rest of this week on Stand Up For The Truth. Have a question for Amy? Email her anytime at comments at standupforthetruth.com. We'll wrap up Stand Up For The Truth in a moment on Q90FM. We're getting ready to wrap up this edition of the show, but the discussion is just beginning. More info on today's topics and much more can be found on StandUpWithTheTruth.com. Now, here's Amy Spreeman with some final thoughts. Well, folks, I just want to encourage you to stay firm. Um, be fed. Be fed by the truth of God's Word and understand that we are in this time of a great falling away. And we're going to talk more about that with our special guest, David Hawking, tomorrow. And he's going to be with us, and Mike will be back. Uh, Julaine Appling on Thursday. Then on Friday, we're going to take it. We're going to not be in the studio. Mike and I are going to go over to... Uh, C.C. Appleton, and uh, that's the Calvary Church there for the Great Lakes Prophecy Conference. We're going to have a huge panel uh, interviewing Warren Smith, Carol Matriciana, of course Dave Hawking will be there again, and uh, many, many more folks. And I just encourage you to join us for that. If you're local, you can come. It's a free event, and uh, there's information on our website, and you can just click there and register. And if you're not local, uh, it will be streamed, and I'm very, very excited to help provide those links. I'm Amy Spreeman. If you have anything that you you'd like to research, if you heard some things that maybe tripped your trigger and you want to know more, go to StandUpForTheTruth.com. Check out our resources tab. Lots of other ministries like uh, Fighting for the Faith are there. You can check those out, but compare everything that you see even in there to Scripture. It's so important these days. Well, we're going to say goodbye for now, but as my co-host Mike would say, be strong, be courageous, and understand the Lord your God is always with you. 